Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with the vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump, Ellis. Well, good morning from the free state of Florida. Florida keeps on winning, and I have so upgraded my governor from the uh, absurdity that is going on in the leftist blue states. We need to change that around. And Governor Ron DeSantis just keeps winning, and he signed a uh, legislative package this week that the government should be about law and not woke politics. He tweeted this, quote, We promised we would increase protections against the proliferation of ESG in our state, and I'm proud to say we have delivered. We cannot turn a blind eye toward large financial institutions and corporations that marshal their economic power in service of an ideological agenda. Well, so true. And here to talk about this more is Brian Griffin, who is Governor DeSantis's press secretary and someone I have come to greatly respect. Um, thank you so much, Brian, for joining me today. And uh, this this ESG package, um, this is fantastic. And what is the mindset and philosophy behind this entire pushback against the woke agenda in politics? Jenna, thanks for having me, first of all. Welcome to Florida. We're glad to have you. Thank um, you. And just be on the lookout this week and next. The governor is going to be delivering on so many of his promises uh, as we wrap up this legislative session, including uh, fighting back against things like ESG. So he- here's the mindset, right? Things that don't get passed at the ballot box by the woke crowd, things that voters reject, they try to bring about in society in other ways. Uh, For example, through institutions, ESG particularly, through our financial institutions and our banks. And the idea is that they should be able to decide, you know, top down these kind of shadowy decision makers. Okay, um, we believe that money should be invested in this way to shape society according to our ideology. So we're going to start to put these factors on things like investment decisions, um, finances, uh, who gets to have, you know, who gets to apply for credit, things like that. And ultimately, it's a way of of enforcing ideological compliance and behavior on people to remake society and and, and cause them to, you know, do the things that that this group believes is right, that this group believes society should do instead of what, you know, free people want to do with their own money. Yeah, and this this just makes so much sense that conservatives should be advocating for freedom and liberty to invest and to uh, have mortgages, to have uh, to have relationships with financial institutions that aren't bound by these woke uh, ideological constructs that would suggest that eventually we'll get to something like a social credit score and to say, uh, looking at at people who have already been canceled from their banks because they didn't have the political viewpoint that that institution preferred. So specifically, uh, what does this legislation actually prohibit or and how does it protect the individual in Florida uh, from this kind of of woke parameter? Yeah, well, I just want to comment on what you said just then, because you're right, woke banking has become 
this this prolific issue where you, when we had people at our press conference, you can go back and watch it. It's on our Rumble channel. You know, we had conservatives or people who had certain types of businesses that they wanted to open, for example, a gun or ammunition store, um, who were being basically kicked out of their you know, banking services or, or removed, you know, from the ability to operate a bank and basically have to go through all of these other hurdles to be able to operate a business um, that that others who might have, you know, quote unquote, the right ideology or the right type of business wouldn't have. And so that's just wrong. It should be an even playing field for people. That's what the governor believes. And that's what he's standing for. So this legislation that the governor just signed yesterday, uh, HB3, does a couple of things. And the idea here is that we're going to use the powers of state government to counteract this issue, right? This is federalism in action. Um, in Florida now, because of this legislation, uh, basically the state kind of pension funds and state financial decisions will not acknowledge or use ESG as a factor in those decisions. Uh, that also will now apply to local governments and their finances and their um, repositories. Uh, it won't be a consideration that's used in uh, bonding. And then it also will prohibit banks that engage in corporate activism from holding government funds as a qualified public depository. And so uh, I've been talking with Brian Griffin, who is uh, Governor Ron DeSantis's press secretary, and there has been some uh, pushback on this, suggesting that okay, you know, this is great on the state level, but it won't really have um, any impact if if you have, for example, a four hundred one k or any federal investments. Uh, but as you say, this is federalism in action. This is the state protecting right. its citizens against right. uh, the, the federal government. So, what's your response to that kind of pushback? Well, you know, we've got the Biden administration in office. He recently vetoed a bill that made it through Congress that was uh, counteracting ESG. So essentially he was you know, paving the way for ESG to continue to have its effect on this country. So when that's the case, you know, this is the moment for federalism to come into action and states need to take strong action. You know, states have a lot of um, have a lot of financial backing to their name. These pension funds and these other state repositories are quite large. So states who stand against ESG, especially if they stand together, can have a big effect against ESG. And the governor not only has done these protections in Florida to protect the people of Florida, but he has recently put together a coalition of 20 states who are uh, bonding together to utilize, kind of marshal all of their state financial entities against ESG and this kind of larger federal action to push back against woke banking. And and this flows into another topic that I, I have been talking to you about generally that um, you actually raised to my attention that I think is mm-hmm. so critical, uh, which is CBDC or this uh, U.S. Central Bank Digital Currency. And so explain right. for those who haven't heard about what this is, uh, why this is important. And this is yet another way that Governor DeSantis is pushing back uh, against an overreaching federal government and saying, I'm going to protect the people in my state. A CBDC would essentially be kind of like a federally sanctioned um, cryptocurrency, right? But it would have an unfair competitive advantage to others, of course, and it would be completely controlled by the federal government. And so right now, the Federal Reserve says they haven't made any decisions about this, but we it's very clear, you know, the writing's on the wall. If you wanted to institute something like a social credit score, right, or if you wanted to push ideology on people and force compliance in that way, you would have to have control over their money, over their finances. Well, the CBDC idea would be exactly that lever of control. 
you could have the government or some, you know, faceless bureaucracy basically penalize people for not making prescribed actions or not following the right ideology or whatnot. And so the governor's idea here is, you know, I, I see this coming down the uh, down the pipe. We're going to stop it before it starts. In Florida, the governor is championing legislation uh, that he hopes to deliver on in this session so that Florida basically won't recognize a, ch- a central bank digital currency. We'll prohibit it from being utilized in our uniform central code uh, and other mechanisms. And in doing so, once again, the governor is marshalling the power of federalism to push back against big, you know, top-down, big government overreach. I'm talking with Brian Griffin, who is uh, Governor DeSantis's press secretary, and this whole idea of of banning a centralized uh, federal digital currency within Florida's Uniform Commercial Code uh, makes so much sense because then there could be no transaction in that form of currency, and so it's protecting the value of. Uh, of not only the dollar, but then the individual who doesn't have to then buy into some uh, federal overreaching ability to force a person to use a currency that's prescribed by the federal government and has all of the uh, the problems and the big brother aspects of why uh, we, why the federal government is overreaching and why people are so concerned about these issues of um, of, a, of a social credit score and some of those things. And so, you know, Brian, this this all goes into I think in a wider and bigger picture of why conservatives are looking to Florida as the model. And in fact, the governor has called this uh, the Florida blueprint. And so you've mentioned this coalition of about 20 other states. Um, What has been the reaction from those other states in championing the same legislation and and basically mirroring Florida? I mean, I'm all about making America Florida. Like, let's get everybody on the (laughs) same page because this has been such a winning uh, message, but also winning policy. I mean, first of all, these are common sense things, right? So we have, you know, red states or states that believe in individual liberties and whatnot who are all, you know, eager to come on board, which which makes perfect sense. But also we're at a point in society where, again, these these ideas, ESG, central bank digital currencies, these ways, these kind of soft power ways that woke or the left are pushing their ideology on people or forcing compliance or forcing behavior – these are coming at us from all angles. They're coming through captured institutions. They're coming from unelected bureaucrats, et cetera. So it's going to take a real strong front to counteract these things. The governor, he's just always on offense. I mean, he's hes doing everything he can to protect people from problems now and problems that we see coming down the pipe in the future. And, he's, and in doing so, he's really taking a bold stance on this stuff uh, in a way that no other governor is. So I think he's 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 clearing the path. He's making a path for others to join us. Like I said, he's marshalling the power of federalism. And it's interesting, Jenny, you've got all of the media apparatus already trying to provide cover for these ideas. If you Google, you know, basically DeSantis and central bank digital currency, all of the mainstream media headlines are, oh, this is just a conspiracy theory. This is, you know, this isn't actually going to happen. They actually haven't said they're going to do this, et cetera. Well, you know, when have we ever just stopped at, oh, well, they ha- you know, the federal government hasn't said they're going to do this, so we should just trust that this won't be a problem in the future. If we learned anything uh, from the time of COVID, we learned, especially during the Vax passport craze, you know, when all of these entities, these, these powerful entities and these celebrities and whatnot were saying, we need to start forcing people's behavior, forcing people to take, you know, vaccines or whatnot. 
by excluding them from society. Well, you know, how could you institute something like that? You could institute it by having complete and perfect control over people's finances. So let's let's dispel with the notion that this type of thing is beyond the realm of possibility. Let's start setting up the bulwark against these things happening to defend and protect people's freedoms and utilize the power of the states to do that with strong uh, leaders and our governors, especially uh, Governor DeSantis. So well said. And I can't believe that people would actually say, oh, we don't need to do this. Let's not protect liberty and freedom until it's too late. I mean, that's never right. been the model of, of anything that Americans have ever championed or suggested. And in just the last few minutes that I have with you, uh, Brian Griffin, you know, it, it just it seems like the conservative mantra has been to play it safe. And yet, now that you have someone like Governor DeSantis, who won an overwhelming re-election victory, he is uh, giving courage to those who have championed federalism, maybe more quietly. And he's now doing that so openly. And so many people are really championing him, especially on um, the issue of pro-life as well. Um, signing that legislation was a huge victory. And, you know, as someone who uh, believes in the sanctity of human life. I was very disappointed to see all of the the pushback on that issue as well, because um, he's been at the forefront for championing life and and I think will continue to. So looking at all of this, um, what can you tell us is his mindset going into some of these things and protecting um, what he should be doing and liberty and freedom, even against all of the onslaught of all of the critics? The governor just doesn't do things by polling, right? He does things based on what is right. He looks out for people. He looks out for people's freedoms. He, you know, he defends life, liberty, and, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's how he, you know, sets his agenda. So I'm just so proud to be, you know, working for him, proud to be part of his team. I've gotten to know him, and he's just such a good and decent man who's interested in utilizing, you know, his authority as elected governor and his influence on society to help Uh, do the right thing and counteract against what might be, you know, coming down our way, other possible offenses against people's liberties. He's he's great at, you know, identifying these things, and he takes action to head them off, to nip them off at the bud uh, in a way that I've never seen any other leader do. So it's just, uh, it's a pleasure to work for him and to see him in action. Well, Brian Griffin, thank you so much for joining me today. Hope to have you on often to champion all of these things. And um, I'm so grateful that Governor DeSantis is my governor now. And so everyone can follow Brian Griffin at Brian with a Y, uh, Brian D. Griffin on Twitter. You can, of course, follow Governor DeSantis. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellison Morning from the free state of Florida. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. The fastest growing crime in America and across the world is sex trafficking. We're talking about millions of lives, even children. Did you know that the average age of a child who's trafficked in America is 12 years old? Well, 8 Days of Hope is decided to be a part of the solution. Do you know it's amazing to think that there's 13,000 animal shelters in our country, and that's a good thing, but there's less than 1,000 safe places for people who've been rescued from sex trafficking to go to get the help they need. I know it's not a fun subject to talk about, but God has called the church to take its blinders off and help end this human tragedy. 
This year, Eight Days of Hope is partnering with Safe Harbor, a ministry in Ohio, will be building a $6.5 million campus over the next six months. When completed, this campus will be the largest facility in the Northeast to be able to provide the emotional, physical, and spiritual help these children need. For more information on how you can get involved, email us at safehouse at 8daysofhope.com or go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. This is Pause to Pray. A chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Adam Tyndall Schlicht, administrator at the St. Lawrence Seaway Development Corporation. His agency operates and maintains facilities of the joint United States-Canadian-St. Lawrence Seaway. Leviticus 25.14 reminds us of the importance of fair trade. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Adam Tyndall Schlicht as he oversees operations along the St. Lawrence Seaway. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Today is the National Day of Prayer. Join millions of Americans as we lift up our country in prayer. It's free to participate. Just go to pausetopray.org. pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. The president of the University of Oklahoma is on the hot seat. Joseph Haraz Jr. signed off on a campus event featuring a drag queen. The president paid the drag queen $18,000 to perform at the annual Crimson and Queens Drag Show. The annual event sponsored by the university's Gender and Equality Group also paid for it with your tax dollars. State Representative Justin Humphrey says the president of the university should be fired, accusing him of losing his moral compass and pushing a woke and perverted agenda. Folks, we're in the middle of a financial crisis in this nation. We have trillions of dollars in debt. We cannot balance our nation's budget. And the cold, hard reality is we cannot afford to use taxpayer money to pay a drag queen $18,000 to prance across the stage in a pair of high heels and pantyhose, even at the University of Oklahoma. Be sure to get a copy of my book, Culture Jihad. It's available at toddstarns.com or your favorite bookstore. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And as the 2024 presidential election cycle heats up, there are a lot of actually former Trump officials and former uh, Trump campaign personnel that are supporting and encouraging Governor Ron DeSantis to enter the race. He has not yet formally uh, declared his candidacy, but we do anticipate that. And one of them is my friend Ken Cuccinelli, who uh, you all will remember served in the Trump administration uh, as a part of the Homeland Security Office. He performed the duties of Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security for President Trump, and he has now founded the Never Back Down PAC, which is encouraging Ron DeSantis to run and says, 
uh, on the website, which is neverbackdown.org, that every election is about the future. Ron DeSantis is the future, and he will never back down. We call on Governor DeSantis to run for president, sign the petition, join us to chart the future. So Ken Cuccinelli joins me now. And good morning, sir. And um, tell me, you know, there are so many people who are in this position that are former uh, Trump supporters who now look to Governor DeSantis as the future. Um, what is your perspective on why uh, this focus on Governor DeSantis? So for so many of us, the ones certainly that I'm most interested in uh, appreciated the policy approaches that President Trump took, but see a far better leadership opportunity. And of course, for eight years instead of four, with Governor DeSantis, I mean, in the in the in the largest swing state in the country, his leadership accomplishments have been stunning. I mean, he's been the best chief executive in every respect in the last couple of decades, not just the last couple of years, but the last couple of decades. And um, you know, ten years from now, Jenna, we may look back on 2022 and decide, you know, Florida stopped being a swing state with that election. But that election was orchestrated, run, and led by Governor DeSantis, and it was on the accomplishments that he had amassed over the previous four years without ever backing down from his conservative constitutional principles. It's really quite impressive. It is. And, you know, a lot of a lot of people see Governor DeSantis only uh, within the context of maybe the last two years, uh, perhaps the last um, four to six years of his term and think, well, you know, this isn't uh, necessarily something that he deserves all the credit for. And of course, President Trump um, is is now attacking him, saying, well, Florida was always red, but he turned Miami-Dade County (laughs) red. And I mean, you just can't argue with the facts. Yeah, by double digits. Um, well, the president does kind of have a habit of arguing with the facts. I mean, <laughs> so apparently you can argue with the facts. But um, but I, I think regular Republicans get the notion, you know, there aren't too many counties in America you could name that ordinary voters from one side or the other would understand the significance of. And and um, but Miami-Dade is one of them. And people get what an incredible accomplishment winning that by double digits is. And by the way, flipping the school board, right. uh, which he also did. He, he actually uh, has demonstrated something no one else even looking at running for president has done, and that is positive coattails. He has helped his whole team, and he, and he intentionally went about doing that, whereas in the last three election cycles, unfortunately— and to our great harm, the president has proven to be negative coattail effect. Um, and when you look at a 51-49 Senate, which, by the way, should be a Republican Senate, but for President Trump essentially scaring away our own voters in Georgia on January 5th, not January 6th, January 5th of 2021, those special elections, we now know we lost. And he convinced triple the margin of loss to stay home of our voters. And they did. And they did. And, you know, here years later, he's now finally saying, well, you know, we got to use every tool in the toolbox to try to win these races. Well, it would have been nice to say that all along. Might have won more races. Um, There are people who listen to him 
And that is, uh, in some instances in the election space, really cost us dearly. We need a, we need a top of the ticket that will bring the whole rest of the team up. Not that everyone will have to worry about depressing our turnout in governor's races and Senate races and congressional races. If the idea is to change America for the better, you don't just need to win the White House. You need to win a bigger margin in the House and you need to win the Senate. Yeah, so true. And and those special elections uh, were costly. And there are people around him. I remember that very well that were uh, encouraging him not to go out and tell people to stay home, uh, but to make sure that he focused and emphasized uh, those Senate races. And so um, speaking of the, of the of the top of the ticket and the chief executive, um, there's a lot of commentary as well about um, some of the drama that surrounded President Trump, to put it mildly, also the issues with uh, picking personnel. And, you know, what we're seeing from his campaign right now is that really nobody that had experience and and frankly, competence in 2016 and 2020 is now working for his 2024 campaign. What does this tell you? And also um, in your experience working with him during his administration about personnel decisions that uh, would change and be different with someone like a governor DeSantis and his track record? So the, the almost random quality of the president's personnel decisions um, and with an extreme variance, um, really hurt our ability to get things done in, when he was president. And it is very telling that the people who were most up close, who worked with him the most, even in his campaign. So, yes, I, I helped Ted Cruz in 2016. But as you point out, Jenna, virtually everyone at the national level that worked on the president's 2016 campaign isn't there. Why not? And speaking just for myself from in the administration, as much as I appreciated the policies that were pursued, frankly, I was outnumbered in the White House trying to pursue the president's own policies on immigration. Um, It was an uphill fight to to get his own agenda. And when he appoints people like Rex Tillerson, John Mattis, Reince Priebus, Mark Milley, empowers Tony Fauci, picks Chris Ray. I mean, I can go on and on, Omarosa and on and on, and um, empowered Jared, frankly, who did a good job on, you know, Middle East peace agreements. But if you wanted to change legal immigration to protect Americans, <laughs> Jared Kushner wasn't an ally, yet he perfectly reflected President Trump. And uh, that was a huge problem. You look at Florida, Governor DeSantis doesn't have people on the team who aren't aligned with the mission goals. President Trump thinks he's picking people who are loyal to him. But what you need to pick is people loyal to the agenda, because it's supposed to be about America, not about the leader. And DeSantis gets that. And you see that reflected in how he has uh, made personnel selections. He's empowered them to perform and he's picking good people, and they are performing. And uh, so it isn't just making good policy decisions like Trump did. You have to prepare well, including the personnel, then make the right decision, and then you have to execute fully and follow through. And the preparation and the execution and follow-through in the Trump administration were very, very poor. 
And there's no reason to think that's going to get any better in, a, in the next four years. And, of course, DeSantis can be there eight years, not just four. And I'm speaking with Ken Cuccinelli, who's the founder of the Never Back Down uh, PAC that is encouraging Governor DeSantis to run. You can find that at neverbackdown.org. And, uh, sir, you have experience in uh, executive leadership, not only with your tenure during Trump's administration, but also as the former uh, Virginia Attorney General and you know other positions. And so you know what you're talking about. And and yet people will uh, come back and say, OK, well, you know, Trump really did care about America. And look at all of the ties of Ron DeSantis to, um, you know, the, the Bushies and the and the George Soros and the WEF and all of these other things really without receipts. And they get very upset when um, people like you and me and, and I just posted last night a whole Twitter thread saying, OK, if the standard of disqualification of someone to run as a genuine Republican is that you have former uh, Bush operatives and establishment people in your campaign, look at all the people Trump has hired. And yet people People don't want to. <laughs> John don't want to Boehner's see that. guy was in charge of personnel. John Boehner, <laughs> and and you will never find a time that the president crossed Paul Ryan, mm-hmm. Mitch McConnell, or Kevin McCarthy while he was in office. Never once. Who was leading who? And you know when you watch him say, you know, grab the guns first. We'll do the due process later. You're shockingly reminded that the president kind of made a deal with us all in 2016. I'll do these things if you elect me. It was very transactional. And he did He did most of them. He didn't do all of them, but he did most of them. And it was still a good argument in the White House, hey, this is what you said in the campaign, Mr. President. But those have run their course. And now we're hitting the wall about how a transactional instead of a principle-based candidate has its limitations. And he's still got all the drama, all the downside um, that comes with, you know, just how he operates, how he functions. Um, And you don't get any of that drama with DeSantis. You just get performance. My parents happened to live in Lee County, Florida, which is where Hurricane Ian ended up coming ashore. Hit right, rolled right over Lee County. Um, They couldn't begin to stop praising the response by the governor. Um, And, you know, this is one of those pop quizzes for leadership that happens every so often. Uh, I tell people, whether you're voting for president or dog catcher, the first two things you get aren't R or D. It's character and judgment. And DeSantis has demonstrated great judgment and strong character. You look at the how the whole world was coming down on his head for his covid freedom efforts. Um, but his judgment in dealing with crises in Florida, and they do happen in Florida, usually in the form of hurricanes, has been unmatched. And other people perhaps could have done these things and didn't. No one's done it as well as, as DeSantis. Nobody. President or governor in any state. It's been really quite a performance. And, and those, those the globalist malarkey that you hear coming from Trump world, it's it's just a different version of the name calling. You know, how much do you think those folks like DeSantis locking in on Disney and on Bud Light and on Airbnb and, and fighting them on their wokeness? Those people aren't about those fights. And yet DeSantis doesn't back down from them. 
And as a social conservative, and you know this, Jenna, you've been there too, for decades we've been looking for people to take on Disney, and this is the first guy to do it. He's the first one to do it, and he's winning, and he's dragging them back down to nothing more than the same level as every other business. That sounds fair and conservative to me. So, and in just the last few minutes I have with you, Ken Cuccinelli, and I really appreciate your perspective and your insight with this. Um, what do you say to the Trump world supporters that say, well, this is a question of loyalty and we owe President Trump the opportunity to basically have revenge for what was taken in 2020. DeSantis needs to wait his turn and he's this is disloyal of him. And how do we know that he isn't just going to uh, get in there and, you know, disturb everything that President Trump accomplished? Because this there seem to be blinders on people that that are so focused on this loyalty question to Trump because he's the one raised it, that they can't even contemplate maybe in a general election, someone like DeSantis actually has a better opportunity to win. So every election is about the future. There is no exception to that. Americans, and if you care about Americans, and that's who I care about, I don't care about Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump any more than I do every other American. This isn't supposed to be about them. It's supposed to be about America and our fellow Americans. And the the whole view you described, Jenna, I agree with you that it exists. And there are people who have a hard time shaking it, and they're wrong. And frankly, they're they're no American, no ordinary American, is going to look at their election that way. They're gonna they're gonna look at well, who can do the most to make America the way I'd like to see it, to lead us there. And there's one guy across the country, and this isn't a knock again on the president. The Never Back Down isn't anti-Trump. We're pro-DeSantis. That's right. what we are. DeSantis is the A-plus applicant for this job. And there's no one else close to him. Not Biden, of course, not Trump. Not any of the other folks circling this potential race. None of them come close to his principles and his performance combined. They just don't. And if you can get that for eight years um, for the benefit of America, why wouldn't you? We owe it to all those who've gone before us and sacrificed so much to deliver us the greatest country in the history of the world. To give that country the best shot it's got of remaining as good as it's ever been and getting better still. And there that's the way to ask this question. That's how to ask this question. And what's the answer to that question? The answer to that question is Ron DeSantis. It's that simple. Really well said. Ken Cuccinelli, founder of the Never Back Down Pack. Thank you so much for boldly speaking these perspectives and willing to confront uh, those who would say this is a question of loyalty and all of the other uh, things. So Never Back Down, and you can find that at neverbackdown.org. We will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning to talk about truth, our country, and the future. Oh, no way that just happened. <sighs> yeah, this radio is old, man. Wait, you have Roku, don't you? Uh, yeah, but how's that gonna help us? Dude, AFR's on Roku now. Oh, seriously? Yes, where's your remote? Alright, here we go.
we're in the same uh, You are a genius. Oh, yeah. American Family Radio. Available on Apple and Android products, Amazon Alexa, and now available on Roku. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fool because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. The following is not an actor, but a real life story from Trinity Debt Management. I'm Corrine. This is my story. I was going through some financial troubles paying off my credit cards. I was paying high interest rates and it just wasn't getting any better. And I knew I had to do something. So my mom told me about Trinity and so I decided to call. Trinity was able to do something that I couldn't. I'm paying off my debt. I'm saving thousands and things are really looking up. I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you call Trinity because it was such a relief and less stress in my life and it was the best thing I could have done for myself because once I called Trinity, they took care of me and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders and they are a Christian-based company. I love it. <laughs> if you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I'm Corey and I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-788-1813. Preborn celebrates that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Roe has been responsible for the slaughter of over 63 million babies. Now the decision to abort a child will be left in the hands of the states, and sadly, abortions will continue in the most liberal states. Over the past 16 years, Preborn has positioned their clinics in the top abortion cities where 50% of abortions occur. Preborn's work of saving babies' lives continues at an even greater level as they save babies' lives and defend their centers from the radical hate groups who want to shut them down. Preborn's response is dependent on you, the pro-life community. Be a part of rescuing lives and changing hearts for Christ. $28 sponsors one ultrasound and $140 will help to rescue five babies' lives. Dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or go to preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we do need to always hold our leaders accountable, regardless of whether they are Republicans, Democrats, uh, Trump or DeSantis or anyone else. And the left has a way of trying to just go after Republicans, just go after conservatives and do all kinds of personal attacks. And generally, uh, what's interesting about their attacks is that usually it's projection. They try to attack someone on our side, on the side of the U.S. Constitution and conservatism as a whole, when in fact it's themselves that are doing this. And a great piece from the Daily Wire just dropped yesterday with the headline, Liberal Supreme Court Justice Took $3 Million from Book Publisher Didn't Recuse from its cases. This is, of course, a liberal Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. And yet we're not hearing about any of this. We are only focused in the media on Justice Clarence Thomas for taking a vacation, which he wasn't obligated to report. And, and there's absolutely no 
uh, ethics concerns with what he did. It's just a way that the liberal left is trying to point out something against the conservative side of the bench when it turns out, apparently, that uh, Sonia Sotomayor is actually guilty herself. So um, Luke Rosiak joins me now. He's the author of this piece. And um, Luke, you know, am, am I wrong here that this 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 seems like uh, everything that the left is saying Clarence Thomas is doing, it turns out, hey, that was actually Sonia Sotomayor. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's right, Jenna. I saw the story just this morning. It's gotten even more farcical about Thomas, where now they're saying uh, someone paid for his grand nephew to go to, call, to, to high school for one year. Um, and this person never had any business before the court. It really has nothing to do with the court. But now that's the big story. Uh, but with this Sotomayor thing, we're talking about her largest source of income, which is Penguin Random House Group. Um, because she's an author. They paid her $3.6 million. I mean, that's, you know, really the only place she was getting money besides her court salary was this publisher. And obviously $3.6 million is way more than she's made from the court itself. And yet when this publisher had business before the court, she repeatedly did not recuse. So this isn't some tangential thing. Maybe if Thomas, blah, blah, blah. This was very much before the court, and she chose to vote on those petitions for CERC uh, and where Random House stood to lose a lot of money if these cases went before the Supreme Court. And they wound up each time the Supreme Court chose not to hear their case, which was good for the publisher. Um, and so, you know, by the way, uh, Stephen Breyer, another liberal justice, he had also been paid by Penguin Random House. Well, what did he do? He, re- he did recuse even though he received only one-tenth the amount of money as Sotomayor did. Wow. And and yet we're not hearing about this anywhere besides Daily Wire, which is um, obviously an outlet that uh, I read because you you all are willing to write these types of pieces. And you know, I can only imagine, Luke, the... Uh, the objection and the hysteria and the screaming at the sky from all of the leftists uh, when we talk about this and say, well, wait a minute, what about Justice Sotomayor? Well, they will have all kinds of excuses. And yet this is actually unlike their accusations against Justice Thomas and others of the conservatives. Um, you know, and they're, they're asking all these questions about Kavanaugh after the fact and everything. Why aren't they looking at Sotomayor? Because to me, this actually seems like a very legitimate ethics question, because if she took money from this source, which that's fine, and, and apparently she reported it, then when Random House, that publisher, has business before the court and she does not recuse and she ends up voting in favor of the publisher that gave her money, that does become an ethics question. So where, and I don't, I don't see anyone on the left even asking what happened. And this is, you know, all the way back in 2020. I mean, this isn't just, you know, super recent, like a couple of weeks ago that they haven't had time. Yeah, no, Sotomayor did it in 2013, immediately after she received a multi-million dollar bonus, and then she did it again in 2020, in, in the year 2020. Um, and by the way, the, the year that that petition came to her, um, that she was asked to vote on, she received a check from Random House that same day. Um, so it's really, you know, pretty a pretty direct, you know, seemingly a conflict of interest 
as opposed to all these other super hypothetical, super tangential, super petty stories that you're seeing in the media that do clearly seem coordinated. And as a reporter, I mean, I think you raise a good question. Like, how does a reporter just happen to find all these stories about the liberal, about the conservative justices, but not the liberal ones, when you really get the stories through the same methodology? They all have these disclosures, and if you're approaching it in a fair way, you would just go through all the disclosures for all the justices. Yeah, well, if you're approaching it in, in a fair way, and I think that really tells us all we need to know uh, with that. I'm speaking with Luke uh, Rosiak, who is a Daily Wire a reporter, wrote this great piece uh, in Daily Wire. Liberal Supreme Court justice took $3 million from book publisher, didn't recuse from its cases. And, you know, Luke, just alone on face, if, if this were the only issue of Sotomayor, that itself would be worth questioning and would be worth reporting and asking what happened here, were there ethics violations, um, and so forth. But in the greater context of how the mainstream media is very one-sided going after uh, Thomas and others, and as you said, ignoring basically any of the disclosures and the questions on the liberal side. Um, as a as a reporter, what does this tell you about mainstream media in general and how how really activist they are instead of journalists? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's no surprise. It's been apparent for quite a while, but I, I do think that this is one of the more remarkable instances. Um, it's like a, a call went out, uh, the bat signal went out to all the reporters to start doing the work of these liberal activists and start um, kind of launching these very petty personal crusades against these uh, conservative justices. And there's really no nexus to um, the, the court's business, which I think is was apparent in the Sotomayor story. Like, for example, the one of these cases in 2020 from Random House it seemed like a case that probably deserved to be before the Supreme Court. Um, there was a, a book that this author made a book where there's a, a small Christmas tree that wants to become the Christmas tree at the Rockefeller Center in New York City. And he has to go through all this adversity together. So it's a very specific children's book idea. Random House published a book that, that was the exact same thing. Um, and then because of this weird split-circuit precedent, um, Random House wound up, you know, there was a, a decision that was favorable to the publisher. And so the lawyers for this author that says that basically Random House stole her idea, they made a really compelling argument that cert should have been granted, and yet it wasn't granted. Um, and so the point is, this is all, you know, I thought we're supposed to be focusing on policy here, not what someone's great, great you know, grandnephew is doing in school, at the minor child going to school. Um, the, the journalists have really lost the plot if they're not even focused on actual policy making, actual judicial decisions. Yeah, they're they're no longer independent, and and they're no longer holding our government institutions accountable, and just asking some of these basic questions. And so we're glad that you are doing that at Daily Wire, um, Luke Rosiak. Thanks so much for joining me. And his piece is liberal Supreme Court justice took three million dollars from book publisher, didn't recuse from its cases. We should be asking all of these questions, and we should be doing that without fear or favor. Uh, this is one of those things where you know it, it, when we talk about oh it's 
it's just infighting or this or that. As as Christians first, then as conservatives, of course, because that should be outflowing from our biblical worldview, uh, we should hold ourselves accountable to the same standard that we're holding the left to so that we can be above reproach. And hopefully our press should look at our institutions of government and the people in office and be willing to ask those questions and hold accountable everyone, regardless of what side of the bench they're on, what party they're affiliated with, what office they hold. Um, But it doesn't seem that way. So we need to be very discerning consumers of news and discerning uh, consumers of really the propaganda that is the activist media now. And uh, and, and it's just really unfortunate. So um, for the last about seven or eight minutes we have here, I want to open the phone lines because we didn't get to everyone yesterday. And we had so many great calls. So if you want to call in on this, if you want to uh, talk about the, the Ron DeSantis versus Trump issues, I know um, everyone has a lot of thoughts on that. You can call in at 888 888- Five eight nine. 8840. That's 888-589-8840. And we will get to as many of your comments this morning uh, as we can. And so while those phone lines are already lighting up and uh, Adam will be taking those calls, um, again, the phone number is 888-589-8840. Um, you know, I really appreciated personally uh, Ken Cuccinelli and uh, being willing to uh, really, I mean, at, at great personal risk um, in, in the sense that so many of us who are even uh, questioning the election in terms of who should be the GOP nominee and not just presuming that it will be President Trump, this is, hopefully we all agree, um, supposed to be free and fair elections, the automatic response to that is to get personally attacked from a lot of the people um, in the Trump world base or the so-called ultra MAGA. And I know that that's not, you know, anyone in our AFR family. I think we're all a little more mature than that and hopefully more mature Christians than that. But even yesterday, um, this uh, this thread that I posted, and you, you can go on and see that on Twitter, um, that just responded to this hypocrisy from the campaign the Trump campaign that is frankly lying about Governor DeSantis and saying it's disqualifying if you have anyone from the Bushies uh, that are in your in your campaign. Well, he doesn't even have a presidential campaign right now, but it turns out that Trump himself has a ton of these people in his campaign. Now, that's not wrong. I don't think that's disqualifying. People who've been around the block for years, um, if they're, as Ken said, if they're on your same agenda and policy, then great. That's fine. But using the Trump world standard to call out DeSantis for something he's not even doing, they're the ones doing it. And the response that I got, no one could refute the actual thread. Nobody had an argument. All they started doing was lying about me, name calling, um, saying all kinds of vulgar comments. I mean, and this is what you set yourself up for when you're just willing to speak the truth. So um, so let's go to Scott from Mississippi. Good morning, Scott. Morning, Jenna. Great program. I always enjoy it. Great way to start the day thinking about the hard, cold, hard facts of life and what we got against us, the, the uh, headwinds that are blowing. Um, greatly enjoyed the interview you did with Mark Levin on Article 5 the other day. That's the kind of Great. pinpoint provocative uh, stuff we need to hear. I would encourage you to get him back on and go back over his uh, – give a great synopsis of the history of the corrupt press, as he did in his book, Unfreedom of the Press. 
Mm. Great, great uh, thought there. And I will definitely invite him on for that purpose. Appreciate that, Scott. And for any of those kinds of um, comments as well, you can always email me, Jenna at AFR.net, if we don't get to your phone call, because I love hearing comments like that of what you like to hear, what you want to hear more of, um, because you know, as I'm sitting down and programming, um, I want to have content that you want to hear and that's um, educational and helpful. So thanks so much, Scott. Let's go to Karen out of Kansas. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. I was wondering about, um, I really did appreciate you talking to Ken Cuccinelli about um, the people that President Trump brought and I, and I think we are we are losing Karen, but my note here from Adam is that she's wondering why President Trump didn't get rid of the people going against him. So I'm going to assume that that was what Karen was asking. And, you know, uh, that that's a question that I had throughout my whole tenure um, in, in working with President Trump, of course, on the campaign side and a lot of people in the administration because uh, for who had that same question because for for a for a guy whose tagline on media was you're fired it really seems like that was a difficult thing to do in actual reality and practice and so um you know i don't have a great answer to that other than um you know just the personnel decisions were not great um across the board and i say that as someone you know who is very grateful to have worked for him myself and i'm now getting you know attacked for having worked for him and now um being being independent and willing to to call balls and strikes, um, but you know that that's one of the things that I think Ken uh, was was willing to say as someone who worked for President Trump as well to say you know he was frustrated that there were so many people around President Trump even in his own office in Ken's own office that didn't have the agenda focus and you don't see that in Governor DeSantis's office currently. So uh, let's go to Steve from Fort Worth, Texas. Um, Steve, we've only got about a minute left. Yeah, Jenna, I, I may be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure that Ruth Bader uh, Ginsburg uh, performed gay marriages, yet she sat and ruled on the Burgerfeld decision. This, is, this has been yep. a chronic problem with the Supreme Court. A hundred percent, Stephen. You are right. And, you know, she should have recused. But then, you know, of course, we would have ended up with a different decision in that case, unfortunately. So, you know, the left loves to project and they don't want to hold themselves accountable. And that's why we need to. We need to hold ourselves accountable, our people. But we also need to continue to consistently call out the left for truth. And that's what we'll do each and every morning here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Really appreciate all of your phone calls um, to those we didn't get to. I try to open up the phone lines as much as possible. You can always email us, Jenna at AFR.net. I love hearing from all of you. Make it a great day. Go forth and speak truth boldly for the purpose of the kingdom of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.